visions of God. And my main goal, as I've been saying, is looking at these visions is really to encourage us as a church. Um, our courage should be found in the character of God, in who God is, in his goodness, in his love, in his grace, but also in his power, in his sovereignty, in his holiness. In fact, it's because God is powerful, it's because he's sovereign and holy that we can trust him. And just think about this. If God was all-loving, but he wasn't sovereign and all-powerful, then we couldn't fully trust him. In fact, he would be powerless in situations to help us. He may want to help us, but he couldn't. And you know what? This is many people's view of who God is, but is not what the Bible says. And I hope you've seen that in the last two weeks as we've been going over these visions of God. Two visions, both awesome visions of who God is. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah had a vision of God in the temple, and he saw the holiness of God, that God is holy, holy, holy. Even sinless angels had to cover their face from the holiness of God. He saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. He was on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In Ezekiel, He was in Babylon, hundreds of miles away from the temple, hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, outside, and he had a vision of four living creatures, these awesome creatures, holding up a platform, and on the platform, a throne, and on the throne, God. Glorious visions. So awesome, in fact, Ezekiel's vision, that Ezekiel had a hard time writing it down. He was lost for words. If you look at Ezekiel 1, how the, the Hebrew is. We saw that last week, Isaiah's vision was focused on the holiness of God. Ezekiel's vision was focused on the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere. He's mobile. He moves like lightning. There's no place that God is not, even in Babylon. Both men saw the holiness of God. They saw the awesomeness of God, and they both crumbled when they saw it. In fact, Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am lost, or I am ruined, or I am undone. Ezekiel fell to his face, naked and exposed. Both men found guilty in front of this holy, awesome God. But instead of receiving God's judgment and wrath, both men received God's mercy and grace. And after experiencing the grace and mercy of God, the fear and terror was gone It was changed to boldness and confidence. It was changed to courage. In fact, the Lord said to Isaiah, Whom shall I send and who will go for us, the Trinity? And Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. You see encouragement here. You see courage. For Isaiah to become a servant, to become a prophet. And it was the same with Ezekiel. He was lifted to his feet by the Spirit in front of the presence of God. I hope you're seeing a pattern as we've gone through these visions Man has this vision of God, gets an understanding of who this God truly is, and is rightfully terrified. He is humbled. He is undone. He crumbles in front of the righteousness, the holiness, the perfection of God. But instead of God destroying man, God extends grace and mercy. And then man becomes a willing servant. He is given courage. This is the pattern that we've seen in the first two visions, and this is the pattern we'll see in this third vision that we'll be going over today. Instead, this vision is not in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. 
you would, turn with me to Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Verse 7 starts this way. Behold, he is coming. The he here is Jesus. Jesus is coming. In fact, this is the meta narrative of Scripture. Starting in Genesis, right after the fall of man, we see in Genesis 3.15 this promise of his coming seed, that, that Jesus, a seed is coming. The whole Bible is about this coming seed, the coming of Jesus. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. He is coming with the clouds. This is like Ezekiel, Ezekiel 1.4. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, a great cloud with brightness all around it. Or Psalms 97, verse 1, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Or Daniel 7.13, I saw in the night visions and behold the clouds of heaven again clouds the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples nations and language should serve him his dominion and everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed Verse 7, behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. The whole earth will see Jesus' second coming. It's not like the first coming. The first coming, Jesus came in humility. The second coming, Jesus will come in power. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth, all the tribes of the earth will what? will rejoice, will praise him, will exalt him, will worship him. No, that's not what John says. Look what he says. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Will wail. Why wail? I want to be clear. This is wailing in terror. It's just like Isaiah People from all tribes of the earth will say, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am ruined, for I am undone, when they see the holiness of Jesus. At Jesus' second coming, the, the earth will wail on account of him. And John says, Even so, amen. I just want to remind you who John is. The apostle of love. The apostle that wrote 1 John. The only place we see in scripture that says God is love comes from John. And look what he says about Jesus. All tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. One commentator said this, Jesus in his first coming, or Jesus came the first time in his humiliation. He will return in his exaltation. He came the first time to be killed. He will return to kill his enemies. He came the first time to, to serve. He will return to be served. He came the first time as a suffering servant. 
He will return as the conquering king. The challenge of the book of Revelation, and really the challenge of all of Scripture is this. Are you ready for his return? Those that aren't will wail on account of him. Verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulations and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John was in jail at this point on an island called Patmos. He was in jail for his faith proclaiming the gospel. And I want you to think about that for a second, because the first vision we had was Isaiah and Isaiah 6, and Isaiah was entering into uncertain times, the year that King Uzziah died. The second vision that we went over was Ezekiel, and he was one of the, the exiles that was, was taken away from Jerusalem, living in a pagan nation hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem and the temple hundreds of miles away from home. John, in this third vision, is in jail. During a time of extreme persecution for the church. And verse 10 says this, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The Spirit, of course, is the Holy Spirit. He has a vision from God. This is revelation from God. It's the same Spirit that directed the creatures and the wheels in Ezekiel 1 that, that led Ezekiel to stand in the presence of God. Verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day, just clear, is Sunday. That's why we have church on Sunday. It's the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. We see the early church making, making that a pattern to have fellowship on Sunday, celebrating the Lord's Day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Verse 12, skip down to verse 12. It says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, someone that had a human appearance, right, like Ezekiel, clothed with a long robe, like Isaiah, the, the robe that filled the temple, and with a golden sash around his chest, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow, his eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. I just want to be clear. This is a terrifying vision. Look what it says in verse 12. On turning and I saw... Seven golden lampstands. Seven golden lampstands represents the church. Lampstands because we are the light of the world. Seven is the number of completion. That means all churches are to shine for Christ. In the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man. What does this mean? Well, son of man is the title that Jesus has given himself. That's that's Jesus. And Jesus is in the midst of the, of the churches, his churches, his body, his bride. And Jesus promised this in Matthew 28, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with his church. 
clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. This is what the high priest would wear. Meaning Jesus is our high priest. He intercedes for us, the church. Verse 14, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. White hair shows the wisdom of God. In fact, Daniel 7, 9 says this, as I look, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothes was white as snow. The hairs of his head were like pure wool. Jesus has the wisdom of God. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His eyes were flames. I mean, this is not what we picture, I think, most of us when we think of Jesus. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice like the roar of many waters. Ezekiel 1, again, verse 24 said, I heard the sound of of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty. Or Ezekiel 43, 2 says this, And behold, the glory of God of Israel was coming from the east, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters. Or Psalms 29, 3, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. Or Psalms 93, 4, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. His voice, this is Jesus' voice, was like the roar of many waters. Jesus had the voice of God. Majestic, powerful, and effective. When he speaks, the universe listens. In fact, Hebrews 1.3 says he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Verse 16, in his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth, a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun in full strength. You can't even look at him. This is a terrifying Jesus. You know how I know for sure that Jesus here is terrifying? It's John's reaction. I want you to think about that. John, a man that walked with Jesus, an apostle, a friend of Jesus. In fact, he was in the inner circle, Jesus' closest friends, Peter, James, and John, the inner three, the closest disciples that ever walked with Jesus. He's called in the gospel of John, the disciple that Jesus loved. And and think about this. Jesus on the cross told John to take care of his mother because he trusted him. John was 90 years old during this vision, around there. Most of his life in faithful service to Jesus, persecuted for his faith in Jesus, in prison for Jesus. If anyone should be excited to see Jesus joy-filled, it would be John. But look at his reaction. Verse 17, when I, John, saw him, Jesus, I fell to his feet as though dead. Listen, I emphasize God's holiness and justice because today there is no fear of God in the church. There's no fear of God in our society and in our culture. 
Our culture emphasizes God's love, which he is love, don't get me wrong, but he's also completely and perfectly holy. And we ignore that. I truly believe you can't fully understand the love of God until you understand the holiness of God. It's only when you see God's love through the lens of his holiness that you understand how deep God's love truly is. Look at verse 17 again. When I, this is John, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but. I love that word in the Bible. But God. Right, but God, we see that in Ephesians 2, 4. Right, we know this, this we, like I said, we have it memorized as a church. And you're dead in your trespasses to sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that's now at work, the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We deserve God's wrath. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Look at verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he, but Jesus but God laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. Jesus had the authority, the power, and the right to destroy John. But he shows John mercy and grace instead. He tells John, fear not. Remember, John, I took your place. I died for your sins on the cross, John. Your sins are forgiven. That is love. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last. Jesus knew his Old Testament. He knew exactly what he was saying here. I am God. Isaiah 40, 48, 12 says, listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he. I am the first and the last. Isaiah 41, 4 says, who has performed and done this? Calling the generation from the beginning, I, the Lord, that's capital letters, that's Yahweh, I, Yahweh, the first and the last, I am he. Or Isaiah 44, 6, thus says the Lord, the king of Israel, and his redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Jesus is claiming to be God. He says, fear not. I am the first and the last. I have the authority to forgive your sins. When I saw him, I fell to my feet as though dead, but he said to, but he laid his right hand on me and saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. Listen, if we were to see Jesus, if he were to come right now in his full glory and holiness, we would all fall to our face in terror. Just like Isaiah, just like Ezekiel, just like John. As if we were dead, undone, exposed, naked, in front of a holy God. 
But for those that have their faith in him, in Jesus, he would reach out in love and grace and say, fear not. I took your place. I paid for your sins. You are forgiven. But that's only for those that have their faith in him. If you haven't put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ this morning, I just want to be clear. He is your only hope. You will be face to face with this holy God one day. You're a sinner. The Bible makes that clear. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't wait. Put your faith in him. Look at verse 17 again. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, these things that you have seen. Verse 19, John is called to service. John, write these things down, Jesus says. John has this vision. John is rightfully terrified. He is humble. He falls on his face. God extends mercy and grace, saying, fear not. Then John is called to service. Jesus says, write these things down. John, be my witness. Be encouraged. That's the gospel. Old and New Testament. In all three visions that we've seen, Man gets an understanding of who God is. Man is rightfully terrified because God is holy and we are sinners. Man humbly repents and and cries out for mercy. And God extends mercy and grace. We have our but God moment. Man becomes a servant. For Isaiah and Ezekiel, it was a hard calling, as we've been saying, a prophet, hated, killed, For John, he died of old age in prison, persecuted. I mean, think about it. For Peter, being crucified upside down. For Paul, it was eventually after beating, after beating, after beating, getting his head chopped off. All the apostles were martyred. Early church was persecuted, all hated by this world. Yet all died in faith. All died in faith. Hebrews eleven thirteen says, All died in faith, but not having received the things promised, but, but seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. This earth, in other words, wasn't their home. They didn't put their hope here in this life. They were strangers and exiles on this earth. On this earth, they, their hope wasn't found here. Verse 16, but as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. All these men were courageous. Right? They had courage. You know why? They all had faith and hope in a glorious inheritance, in a glorious future, in a better country that... That is a heavenly one. They had faith in a powerful, holy, sovereign God. Therefore, 
says in Hebrews, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. I hope that is true for me. (laughs) I hope God could say that about me. Listen, God is our hope. We have no need to fear. We should be encouraged for how awesome God is and the God we serve and follow. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You know, we can't teach people to observe what God has commanded us if we don't follow what God has commanded us. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This picture of Jesus in the midst of his church is meant to encourage us. Jesus is with us, and as we see our culture slowly going off a cliff, and it becomes harder and harder to be a Christian in our society and culture, we need to have hope and joy that we serve an awesome God that is with us through it all. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, Lord, we thank you for who you are, Lord. We thank you for the promises that you have given us, not only a glorious inheritance, not only a a glorious city and, and eternity with you, Lord, in perfect joy, but also that you would be with us in this life, Lord, that we can find joy even in this life, Lord. I am so encouraged to hear Paul write in the book of Philippians as he is being persecuted, as this truly isn't his home as he's gone through beatings and and persecution and suffering, Lord, and yet every other word he writes is joy. He found true joy, and that is a relationship with you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for how awesome you are, for how holy you are, that you're also a God of grace, and that you extend that grace out to us, Lord. I pray if there's anyone here right now that's listening online that that does not know you, Lord, that they they run to you for mercy and grace and, and cry out, Lord, knowing that your son has died on the cross for them. I pray they put their faith in him, Lord. I also pray they know that he was raised on the third day, and as we have seen, he is alive, and he will come back. And for how terrifying that is, it's also joy-filled and hopeful, Lord, that you will be back one day and that you will come for your bride. Be with us, Lord, in your son's name. Amen.